Good afternoon and welcome to today's episode of Chet Chats. Today we are going to be discussing the nomination and appointment and potential confirmation of Supreme Court Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, we will be discussing this uh, along with some of the issues that have been surrounding this nomination. Now, let me start off just by way of background. For those of you that are just joining us or may have been living under a rock, Ruth Bader Ginsburg recently passed away and her seat on the Supreme Court needs filled. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was and is a liberal icon, especially regarding gender equality. And she is a she's she has big shoes to fill on the bench. Let's just say that. Now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or RBG as I might refer to her, was a very liberal justice. And as a libertarian conservative, I might not agree with a lot of her, her decisions. I may not have agreed with a lot of her politics. But I will say this, that as a father of a young daughter, I am certainly grateful for the progress that she made on women's equality. I am grateful that my daughter will grow up and will work in a workforce that has the benefit of her decades of decisions. She leveled the playing field for women. She brought uh, gender and sex equality into the forefront of the American psyche. And I can honestly say that I'm grateful that those decisions are there. So even if you disagree with her politics, I don't think anybody that truly wants equality for women could say that they're not, at least on some level, grateful for the progress that she made and that their female family members would benefit from that. Now, we are going to start off the conversation with sort of an assumption, if you will, and for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to assume that Amy Coney Barrett, I don't want to get back, Amy Barrett Cohen, I don't want to get it backwards, um, ACB, I guess we, we could call her, um, is a qualified justice on the Supreme Court. She has an exemplary academic record. There are people on both political spectrums that say that she is highly qualified. And so I will not belabor the point. This will not be a discussion of whether or not she is a qualified jurist, whether she is a good judge. Um, that we are going to assume that she is qualified because in my opinion, and of the it is the opinion of many people, that she is one of the most objectively qualified people who could be nominated to that position. Um, certainly one of the most qualified we've had in a long time. So we're not going to get into that discussion. We are going to go forward with the assumption that she is qualified. Now, there's sort of two parts to this discussion. The first part is whether the president can appoint her. And then the second question is whether he should. So it's sort of an empirical versus a normative approach. And so we're going to take that in turn. Can the president, during an election year, nominate a Supreme Court justice for a vacancy? Article 3 of the United States Constitution lays out the judiciary. Its roles, its responsibilities. Article 2 talks about the presidential responsibilities. The Constitution makes it clear that the president shall, it does not say may, it says shall, 
appoint justices to the Supreme Court when a vacancy occurs. Justices serve for life or during good behavior, which means either until they resign, die, or are removed from office, essentially impeached and convicted. So there is an appointment, or I'm sorry, there is a vacancy. We all agree with that. There is a vacancy. The Constitution says that the president shall appoint a justice to the Supreme Court. I don't know how much more clear it can be. The Constitution not only says that he may, but he shall. Arguably, he would be derelicting his responsibility if he didn't. So where I want to go with this part of the conversation, and we have a few more stops to make, so don't get off the, don't get off the train just yet. But this discussion of Nancy Pelosi threatening impeachment if he nominates a Supreme Court justice. Now that suggestion to me is disingenuous, it's absurd, and that arguably is an abuse of power. To say that you're going to impeach someone for doing exactly what the Constitution prescribes is ridiculous, okay? Our founding fathers were very intelligent people. They crafted the Constitution. They drafted the provisions that relate to Supreme Court nominations. They also drafted the provisions of the Constitution that deal with elections. They knew there would be elections every four years for the president. They had to know that over the course of human events from time to time, there would be a Supreme Court justice who decides to drop dead during an election year. Not a single thing is mentioned in the text of our Constitution that diminishes the president's authority during during those election years. Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself was quoted as saying, the president does not cease to be president at any point in time. So you don't elect a president for three years. You don't elect a president for three and a half years. You elect him for four years. And up until the point, up until his successor takes the oath of office, it is his constitutional authority to nominate justices. Now, is the Supreme Court going to confirm them or not? Now, that's a different story. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I find it absolutely disgusting that Nancy Pelosi would threaten impeachment if the president simply did what the Constitution says that he shall do. So the next question is, should the president nominate? And this is really, if everyone's really honest with themselves. This is really what the question is. I think anybody with two brain cells knows that the president can do this. It's whether or not it's appropriate, whether or not it is politically, it, it is the appropriate political etiquette, whether it violates notions of comedy and reciprocity and a, a gentleman's agreement or a lady's agreement, if you will. Uh, that's, really what the, that's really what it surrounds is should the president. And we get into this discussion of precedent. How has this issue been addressed in the past? Well, everyone looks back and points to Mitch McConnell in 2016. He blocked Merrick Garland's appointment because it was an election year. Now, I will say this. I 
truly believe that the Senate should have given President Obama his nomination, his nominee, a hearing. President Obama was the president. It was even earlier in the year. The president never ceases to be president. That concept applies equally to both President Trump and former President Obama. Now, I do recognize what conservatives say, and that is the distinguishing facts, uh, being that President Obama was not seeking re-election because it was after two terms, and also that it was um, the, the Senate was controlled by the Republicans. I do understand that elections have consequences and that uh, one of the consequences of uh, the Senate going to the Republicans was that they could potentially uh, veto or block a Supreme Court nominee. I do understand that, but that sort of changes this discussion and where it takes us to a different question, and that is, what is the role of the Senate in a Supreme Court nomination? There are two ways to look at it. One way to look at it is the president uh, you know, nominates, and then the Senate has to agree with whether that's the person they want also. And so it's essentially two people have to sign off on it. Another way to look at it is that the president nominates, and the Senate simply determines whether or not they're qualified, whether they are appropriately qualified to sit as a Supreme Court justice. I tend to think that it's the second one. I don't necessarily think that the Senate gets to say, well, that's not who we would have chosen, so therefore we're going to block them. I think the Senate's job is to say, well, you know what? I may not agree with all of their politics. I, I may be a little bit more left-leaning or a little bit more right-leaning or whatever the case may be than this particular nominee, but this person is objectively qualified. They've been an attorney for 25 years. They've been a circuit court judge and you know they've really never been overturned and they uh, render appropriate opinions and they would be an appropriate justice of the Supreme Court. Simply a check to make sure that the president doesn't go and nominate a ham sandwich or the, the family dog and put them on the Supreme Court. That is what I believe the role of the Senate is. So what I think should have happened was uh, Merrick Garland should have had his hearings and the way the Senate exercises their check and balance. And this is where I think, we talk about elections having consequences, I think if President Obama had tried to put on an extremely left-leaning judge who the Senate didn't feel comfortable with and felt like was going to take the country in a very bad direction, they could have vetoed that. They could have denied confirmation. And that would have been an appropriate exercise of the Senate's discretion. But for the Senate to simply refuse to hold the hearing and to refuse to even consider a nominee from President Obama, I don't believe was appropriate. I don't think that was an appropriate exercise of the Senate's discretion. Why? Because the president never stops being president. And President Obama was in office. A vacancy occurred. He had a constitutional duty to nominate, he did that. Senate has a constitutional duty to advise and consent. You can't advise and consent if you never have a hearing. So I think they were wrong in doing that. So the question now is, do two wrongs make a right? Do we say, well, he did this four years ago, so we get to do it now? I'm not, I, I get it. I understand 
if I was a Democrat, if I, you know, if I was a, if I was on the left, I would certainly be saying, hey, this isn't, you know, it's not fair what they did or whatever. But as we all know, Nancy Pelosi knows how to impeach people. She could have impeached Mitch McConnell when he did that. She could have said, you are abusing your power, Mr. Speaker, refusing to do this. We're going to impeach you. So she wants to impeach people so bad, you know, she should do it when it's actually appropriate. So, so there's that. Um, and just circling back to this idea of when the president stops being president, there's a point that I want to make. And I, and I haven't heard anybody else make this point. And maybe, you know, people are getting so caught up in the, the emotions of it. You know, maybe this is a, a subtle point that people haven't really thought about. But they're saying it's an election year. They're saying that you should not do this because the people haven't had a chance to weigh in and be heard and to say who they want the president to be to be able to exercise these presidential functions. Well, is there anybody that has a problem with the president signing bills into law during an election year? Is there anybody that has a problem with the president vetoing legislation in election year? Is there anybody that has a problem with the president appointing ambassadors and public consuls during an election year? Is there anybody that has a problem with the president appointing district federal judges during an election year? Because those are all the things that the president does. Those are all presidential functions that the Constitution dictates that he does. He does all of those things in an election year and nobody bats an eye. Why, pray tell? Why do we arbitrarily draw this distinction in the appointment of a Supreme Court justice when, you know what? Why, well, why should you be okay with him signing bills into law? After all, it's an election year, right? The people haven't weighed in on right, right? who they want the executive to be, to be, to be signing these bills into law. People haven't weighed in. No, but that's ridiculous, right? Because the president's the president for four years. There was no place in our constitution where they talked about a diminished, diminished authority of an executive during an election year. So think about all the other functions that the president does during an election year that nobody bats an eye at. Another thing I've heard is that, well, the people have a right to be heard. Well, respectfully, that is just fundamentally wrong. You see, the Supreme Court of the United States was designed to be a non-political branch of government. You see, people elect congressmen. People elect the president. People, the citizens, do not elect the justices of the United States Supreme Court. It was made that way intentionally. The Supreme Court was supposed to be the branch of government that essentially keeps the other branches of the government in check by deciding cases, adjudicating cases, and their appointments are for life. And so they are supposed to be above the political fray, above being swayed by a mob mentality or a political movement or public sentiment. They are supposed to strictly apply the law. They're supposed to be that pillar that we can count on that's not going to sway with the tides of public sentiment and feeling. So no, when you say the people have a right to be heard on the appointment of, of a Supreme Court justice, that's, that's fundamentally flawed. That logic is fundamentally flawed. That sort of imputes this representative democracy mindset um, on the judicial branch of government 
that's on the same level as what we see with the with the legislative and the executive branch. And that is not that is not the case. So well, thank you all for joining us on this episode of Chet Chats. I hope you have found it entertaining, if not educational, and we look forward to you joining us in the future.